Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Only the Penitent Shall Pass podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth. Today's episode, we're going to be discussing theistic evolution. This is a subject that is very important for the modern Christian, as theistic evolution has made major inroads throughout Christian circles and communities around the world. Theistic evolution being that teaching in which people believe God used evolution to create all things. What you believe about theistic evolution defines your belief on all things as well, right down to marriage, having families, your vocation, whether you should do drugs, literally. Your determination of whether God created all things according to the Genesis Genesis story, or whether God used evolution will affect your beliefs. And if you don't agree with me, stay tuned and listen to the discussion. So today's episode, John, theistic evolution. What is that? <laughs> what is what is that? That's what I'm going to start saying at all the beginning, all the beginnings. Well, what's that? <laughs> what are these things? So you you taught at a classical Christian school, and we won't name the school you taught, but it wouldn't be too difficult for our listeners to ascertain which one it was. With the internet or something? Yeah, with the internet. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, we're we're. F- we're familiar with um, classical Christian schools, and as a general rule, I've been very supportive of them. Classical Christian schools uh, have—they've uh, sort of come into their own in the last twenty years. Back in the nineteen fifties, you hardly would have even heard that term, but they've been developed over the last few years, and, and generally, they're pretty solid. Uh, but in recent years. In recent years, we're seeing the classical Christian schools begin to succumb to theistic evolution. Uh, Doug Wilson, out of Moscow, Idaho, the Presbyterian pastor, he wrote an article uh, this past week titled, The Coming Classical Christian Downgrade. And in his article, he was mentioning that uh, classical academic press, which is one of the big Uh, curriculums uh, uh, that publishes one of the big curriculums for classical Christian schools, that their new science curriculum, uh, which is also carried by uh, Veritas Press and Memoria Press, uh, that there's a good chunk of what they're proselytizing is theistic evolution. That is the idea that God used evolution to create the world. And for you and I, and for any real, authentic Christian believer in the Bible, we have to take a stand against that. Yeah, absolutely. As, as you were saying, the very notion of theistic evolution is an ugly story. Yeah, that's why, you know, I think in a previous episode I talked about this, 
if you if you hear the whole story of the whole evolutionary story from the Big Bang to the final heat death and everything that happens in between. I mean, come on, there's dinosaurs, right? There's dinosaurs and there's one creature, man, his struggle for ascendancy, right? This is all something uh, Lewis taught, and Lewis was an expert in mythology, and he said, this is a very beautiful myth, right? And Lewis also says, one of the reasons it's so powerful is because it's not actually true, but it contains all sorts of little truths, just like... Um, any mythology does, right? You know, like, take uh, Kronos, the god of time, he eats his own children, right? Well, yeah, time eats its young, right? The the creatures of time um, are destroyed by time, right? Something along those lines. And, you know, there are a million little truths like that in mythology. But then, so to take, but then to take the Christian story, so to sort of handpick out of Genesis what's true and what's false and try to match it up with this humanistic, secular story, which is not true, it, it always struck me as very ugly. You have, this, you have this weird emergence from chaos, but God is somehow in control of this, although he really just seems like a god of the gaps because it can kind of do its own work. And then some, for some reason, this one creature called man evolves and he gets a sort of ascendancy. And God's like, oh, I think I'll take that one. And he throws some, soul, breathes some souls into him and puts him into the garden. And then it's very unclear what happens. It's like, well, is there just no death in the garden? Um, well, how did evolution happen for millions of years if there was no death? Uh, you know, we could ask a million questions like that. And then you get the fall, and it's just, um, I think it's the kind of story where both, people on both sides of the argument can say, oh, what is that? You know, it's uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think if he was sitting here, he might sort of agree with me in a way, and he might say, well, like, well, it has to be one or the other, and I think you're wrong, John, and I, so I think you're wrong. You know? <laughs> well, so, theistic evolution denies that God fashioned a literal Adam, a literal Eve, uh, out of the earth, and he made them male and female. Um, now that, that let's, let's, let's start off looking at, at Jesus' words in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 19, uh, in verse 3, the Pharisees come to Jesus asking a question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, Jesus' response to the question of divorce is he references the creation of man. And his response is, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now, Jesus is referencing the story of Genesis, that, that God created them male and female. <coughs> Theistic evolution would say that God first made molecules and bacteria and matter and mass, and over millions of years those things evolved, and eventually they evolved into ape-like ape-like creatures and eventually those ape-like creatures after living and dying and living and dying and eventually two of them suddenly were conscious enough and then God put them in a garden shot? I think that's what it is. 
Well, it's the... It's the opposite story. If we just sort of, like, strip it to its bare bones and don't look at the details, it's what you're describing is the opposite story of what the Bible says. Okay? So in the theistic evolution model or the evolutionary model, you have two things that are essentially animals, you know, like the brutes, like a monkey, and they... And then they learn how to reason and to think and to be creative and so on and so forth, right? Hence, we call it evolution, right? It's a change with an improvement, right? Um, the, the Bible teaches that there are these two creatures, Adam and Eve, man and woman, and they're already endowed with intelligence and thought and creativity, and they have a mission, they have a goal, they have a purpose, and although they're they're like the animals in a lot of way, they're not subjected to these brute passions, right? They're not basically just con continually obsessed with food and sex, which a lot of humans are, right? Like something we all struggle against in one way or another. So from right off the bat, if we just sort of strip it down and say, okay, what are these two stories? It's the opposite story, okay? So... And I think a lot of, most people that believe in, in the, you know, the, uh, the theological evolution story, they don't realize how evil it is. And I think their intentions are good, but I think it's, it's really bad because, well, wait, so if, if, you're, a, if you're a man, it, you know, so if you're a man and you're really a beast, whoever gives you wisdom or reason is probably the good guy. And this is exactly in the Adam and Eve story, what, like what happens is the, the serpent gives them a sort of faulty wisdom. But I think you would have to sort of conclude that if the theistic evolution story is true, it's the serpent actually becomes the good guy. And this is what... Gnosticism, one of the first Christian heresies taught, is that the, the serpent actually freed Adam and Eve. And that's really dark. That's really dark. We don't want to go in that direction. So let me, let me read for a moment from Doug Wilson's article. He is building off of Francis Schaeffer's book, Escape from Reason. And about Francis Schaeffer, Doug sa says, Escape from Reason uh, was edified in all kinds of ways, and half a century later it is clear exactly how prescient Schaefer was. Doug Wilson goes on to say, without a historic space-time fall, the fall of Adam and Eve, a time when a historic Adam ate the fruit that was forbidden him, the entire Christian framework, worldview, and gospel lies in shambles. And once that Christian framework, work, worldview, and gospel are in shambles, it is not long before the Christian lives of our young people are down there with them. That's the basis and the core of a biblical worldview, that God created a real Adam and a real Eve, that they sinned, and through their sin, sin entered the world into all mankind. And so that as one man sin entered the world, through one man there's redemption through Jesus Christ. 
These are literal people. These are literal events that occurred in real history, in real space, and in real time. The theistic evolution, that is, theistic means God, right? That God used evolution. The apist worldview, that robs the scriptures of, of its essence. It's literally redefining, redefining scripture. And it's, it's creating a false narrative. And it's setting people up to no longer see God as the point of history. And you no longer see the logos as the point of history. Now you see the mythology of apism. Yeah, and that's what, well, that's what happens when you, when you take logos out of history, and that is the logos, Jesus Christ then you're sort of stuck stuck in time. So whatever you happen to think or feel right at this moment, that's what's true, that's what's beneficial. And so you're, you're sort of trapped, right? So if you're wrong, it doesn't matter. If you're right, it doesn't matter. Things just kind of are how they are. They're very fatalistic, right? In the, the bizarre mechanistic view of everything we get from the evolutionary worldview... This is, that's sort of where he leaves us. So you, it's funny, you have all these people running around saying, we have to change the world, we have to change the world, we have to do this or that, but they're fundamentally sort of stuck in their fate, right? What, um, do, you, what do you mean stuck in their fate? Well, if everything is just matter and organic life unfolding it becomes this contingent process. So whatever whatever we're doing right now, whatever our listeners are doing right now, is contingent on the thing that just happened to them. And so on or so forth, back to the beginning of time. So you don't really have anything like free will. So it's, that's like determinism. Yeah, determinism. Whole, there's a philosophy determined. of determinism that a lot of atheists believe in. Yeah, and, and I think what we're saying is the, the atheists, there's a lot of atheists that claim that. And they say, oh, I'm okay with that. Well, what... Well, I have to be okay with be, it. In psychology, behavioralists are more or less determinists. Yeah. They believe that your very behavior is controlled by a predefined, preset uh, series of actions that molded you into who you are and that you don't have free will. Yeah, exactly. Um, but those people, the, and I think what we're saying is the atheists that claim these things they're actually more coherent and consistent than this really weird Theist, you, theistic, theistic evolution, evolution yeah. that somehow tries to mesh all this together into this coherent thing. And to, to think um, that certain classical Christian schools are going to teach that, that's what the article's about, the Doug Wilson article. Yeah. To think that they're going to start teaching that, it's like, well, that doesn't seem very classical or Christian because it's very incoherent or it's just bizarre. And, and it's funny that very often, that, you know, the, athe the smartest atheists, they're saying they're more coherent and they're saying more truth than the mass of Christians, right? No, right? no, no we could, we could uh, argue, you know, where did, where did the Roman church really start steering the ship incorrectly uh in it was it was it was it leading up to the reformation you know I, i'm not i don't want to have that discussion but one of the areas in the last hundred years where the roman church really veered off 
really veered off into left field is Rome entirely endorsed theistic evolution. And then you saw major denominations like the Episcopals and the Presbyterian USA, all the major denominations, the Methodists, they all started endorsing theistic evolution at their seminaries as denominations. All the main lines, they all affirm theistic evolution. It's really only small splinter groups of Orthodox Christians anymore that take a stand against it. And, and maybe maybe some evangelical non-denominationalists or Baptists, I, I don't know, some of them maybe are against it too. Do you think, do you think the majority of them, is the, does the narrative go something like, when we evolved, that's actually when we became Adam and Eve? So the first two, our first two half-monkey parents were Adam and Eve? So depending on the theistic evolutionist you're talking to, some of them don't even believe in, in a... Garden of Eden, some of them don't believe in a physical Adam and Eve, some of them do. Some of them do, yeah. Yeah, some would say, well, there was this moment when consciousness took place. I know uh, Peter Enns, who used to teach at Westminster, I, I think he was sum- summarily uh, discharged because he was teaching theistic evolution. Um, I've read his books, uh, you know, I appreciate some of his ideas, but he's very much heretical in that he doesn't believe... Genesis is anything more than some kind of mythos narrative that is fashioned together um, so that I, I don't I don't even completely know what he believes but a lot of them don't even believe Genesis is anything more than than mythology yeah uh, and, and the problem with that is is quite simple <laughs> if all you believe is is the apist philosophy that we evolved from ape-like creatures well, why are we talking about sin? <laughs> what does it matter what we do? What's the point of marriage? The, the reason I open this subject up with the Pharisees asking Jesus a question about divorce is Jesus' response is to understand divorce, you have to understand the creation, <laughs> the very beginning, Genesis. You have to understand, well, why are we created? With, without having a literal creation, a literal Adam and Eve, there's no reason to even be married. Just do whatever the heck you want. Well, yeah, and without, and without this narrative, there's really no fall. There's, there's no fall of man. Right. It, well, it becomes fundamentally different. So animals are innocent, right? So if you come home and your dog has chewed up your shoes, you, you don't condemn him. In the way you would someone else who, like, let's say, burned your shoes or something, right? Um, so I, it, it seems like the theistic evolutionary people, what's implicit in it is that Adam and Eve, their innocence was basically just them being animals. And so again, while if that's the case, when the snake came along and said, oh, well, no, if you, if you do this, if you disobey God then you'll become more like God. You'll become humans, right? Essentially. And I think that's what the story is. And so the first heresy, Gnosticism, is now, in a, this really tacit way, accepted by most of the church. And that's that's very frightening. Now, I, I personally know Presbyterian ministers. I know Episcopal ministers who will not take a stand against theistic evolution. They... Whether they're 
concerned their parishioners will leave if they teach in a literal if they teach a literal uh, creation maybe they're afraid their parishioners will leave I, I don't know why maybe they believe in theistic evolution I, I don't know but it seems as though not teaching a literal Adam and Eve if you don't do that you have no basis to teach against divorce you have no basis to teach against nihilism just why not just do whatever you want what does it matter if we're descended from apes if we're nothing more than elevated creatures that used to walk on our on four legs what does it matter what we do this is sort of the um uh, the same discussion I've had with many atheists. If you're going to be an atheist, wh wh what does it matter if you're moral? Who cares? Do whatever you want. If this is all there is, why not live life to the fullest and do whatever you feel like? Now, this is what existentialists such as uh, John Paul Sartre or Albert, Albert Camus in The Stranger, this is really what Camus is, is pointing out. And he struggled with that because Camus, Camus would always tell people, I'm not an existentialist. He would always say that. But when you read his book, The Stranger, the novel, he's struggling with, well, if this is all there is, what is the point to anything? And the protagonist in his book, The Stranger, murders someone. And when they come, the priest comes to ask him, why'd you murder the person? And the murderer doesn't respond to the priest. He's thinking about what he might eat later. Because if this is all there is, if this is the whole show, and once we die, there's nothing else... You don't even really need to think too deeply about anything. After you murder someone, you can think about lunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, this is... Right. I think it's hard for Christians who are sort of in the middle on this issue to understand how much more consistent someone like, say, Friedrich Nietzsche, right? A man who called himself an antichrist. You, you know, so he accepted this premise that can't... Well, yeah, there's no God all things are permissible, so what is there? It's like, well, there's just life. Things are alive, and they're doing stuff. Okay, so I'll just embrace that. So whatever furthers the interest of life, whatever that happens to be, you're allowed to do that. So, and then you get into really satanic territory. So now the most powerful people who are full of life, they can just exert themselves over anyone and everything, and... But that's what consistently follows, right? That's why people are still reading him a hundred years later, and a lot of Christians are trying to figure out what he's saying. Because it's like, yeah, that seems like if I reject God and I accept evolution, that seems most consistent. It's like, well, I'm allowed to do anything. I guess the best thing that makes most sense is like, how do I evolve and be some sort of God? Oh, wait, that sounds familiar, right? That question? Oh, no, you won't die. You'll become like gods. You know, where's that from? It's from the Genesis narrative. Like God, he can anticipate all this six, seven thousand years in the future. In, in 2020, one of the, the issues that has confounded me the most is why or how so many churches could have locked their doors and closed up and forsaken assembling together on Resurrection Sunday. I, I just, it, it boggled my mind. 
How could these churches, which were supposed to be faithful Christian parishes, whether Protestant, Catholic, Presbyterian, or Anglican, or Baptist, or Charismatic, or Assemblies of God, Methodist, it doesn't matter what denomination or stripe it was, my mind was boggled. If you believe in the Bible, how dare you not worship God on Resurrection Sunday? Well, with the issue of theistic evolution, well, there's the answer. They don't believe in the Bible. The majority of these places teach theistic evolution. The majority of of Christendom is no longer actually Christendom. They're something else. They're imposters. And we know that the New Testament says that that some of the deceptions of the enemy will be so great, you quoted this verse earlier when we were talking, that even the elect might be deceived. Even some people who, maybe they really are believers, maybe they'll fall prey to the deceit that the demons teach. And theistic evolution, well, this is one of them, is if your pastor or your parish or your church teaches theistic evolution, if they don't take a strong stance against it, you got to question if you're really a part of a Christian church. Because the Bible's very clear. There was a literal Adam and there's a literal Eve. And without that teaching, the very bedrock of marriage makes no sense. That's, that's my point. Is that, is that Adam and Eve in the creation story, they give coherence to marriage. Well, they give coherence to friendship. They give coherence to all of life. Well, yeah, and there's no fall away from God in the sense that Christians understand it. So, in a way, it ruins the whole thing. So it's like, if we if we evolve from monkeys to thinking, self-conscious creatures, wh- what exactly do we need Jesus Christ to come for? You don't need him. You, you don't need him, right? And that's, I think, there's something like that, is that, well, like, what is... The spirit of Antichrist is he who denies Christ's game in the flesh. So I think what St. John is getting at there is that all heresies are subtly edging edging you towards that cliff that says, well, you don't really need Jesus. Like, this didn't need to happen. Like, sure, maybe Jesus is important and there's something to him, but you don't need that when it's the one needful thing in life. Like, you actually... You, you need Jesus before you even need food or shelter, in a sense. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but this is one of the things I've lectured on many, many times throughout, throughout the years. And that is our origin or understanding where we came from is what gives us our very identity. That's why someone who has lost their memories has no identity, right? An amnesiac patient, why are they in such a moment of crisis? Well, they don't know who they are because they don't remember who their parents are. They don't remember their grandparents. They don't remember the city they came from. Our very origin story is what gives us our identity. Therefore, if your origin story is apism and that you came from ape-like creatures, That's going to give you a different identity than an authentic Christian believer who knows they're children of Adam and daughters of Eve. Yeah, through them, through the 
recapitulation of Christ, we become children of God. It's all, it's all tied together. It's one story. You can't start adding or removing things because it throws the whole thing into chaos. And once something's in chaos, you can't really do anything with it. You sort of start over. But we don't have that option because it's not something... Maybe this is what's important. It's Nobody made up the story you find in the Bible. They, were to, they received them from God. And so that's very important is Christianity is really the one authentic alternative to humanism. So a lot of people, they're, they're fine with that. They're like, I like being human. You know, everything's going swell. Like, look, it, my life's good. Some people's aren't. Maybe we can get them some help. I don't know. So this is how a lot of people think. But if you're, if you're anywhere in life where you're dissatisfied and you're like, man, being a human, that kind of sucks, right? Like, it's a lot more suffering than, you know, you think you can endure. It's like, well, there's really one viable alternative to it because there's only one thing that comes from outside of just the human, right? So I, I think <clears throat> I think w one of the trends we've seen since the 1960s, it's a trend that goes up and down throughout history, and that's the spirit of feminism in the ancient world. It was called the spirit of Jezebel. And in the modern times, this, this feministic spirit has crept into the church and has wreaked havoc. A lot of conservative Christian communities are succumbing to elements of feminism. And when we look at the rejection of the Genesis story, well, it's no wonder. Because if you believe in apism, if you believe in theistic evolution, while well, feminism is just a good thing. It's a natural outcome of theistic evolution. But if you believe in the Genesis story, well, that's in opposition to the spirit of Jezebel. Why is it in opposition? Because in the Genesis story, because Eve was the first to sin, it comes with different curse than the curse that comes upon man. Both men and women are cursed, but there's different curses that follow, and that, that distinction is important. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I could sort of double down on what you're saying, and it's like, in the, in the evolutionary story, the first man came from a woman. So some sort of half-monkey, half-human woman gave birth to the first human, Adam, right? The Bible story says that, no, that Eve came from the rib of Adam. So, I mean, this is a good way to tell if what you're dealing with is just a heresy. It's like, well, does it invert and say the exact opposite of what the Bible says, right, like very clearly? Then you might have, like, a heresy on your hands. You might have something that's not, not the true teaching. Now, now, if you were to ask me, well, you, you, do you believe the earth is 6,000 years old? I'm going to say I have no idea how old the earth is. I stay away from that question. I don't have any clue. I don't think anyone knows if the earth is 6,000 years old, 10,000 years old, 100,000 years old. The question is more or less irrelevant. There's no way to know. And if there is a way to know, no one has presented any 
interesting information up to this point, right? I mean, yeah, I've never been a hundred percent convinced about anything. So a lot of people, the, this if you don't know the the six thousand years that you often hear from creationists, it's from it's derived from counting all adding up all the genealogies in the Bible um, to the time of Christ, and so it's a very good argument, but the way the Hebrews written. It could be that there's gaps in the genealogies. And that's not to say the Bible is mistaken. The writers may intentionally have left gaps. And so a lot of it, it's like, well, we don't exactly know. And so we don't, I'm not taking a position. John's not taking a position. We have no idea how old the earth is. It's not, it's beyond the scope of this podcast. And it's, in my mind, it's beyond the scope of any human to even know the answer to that question. What we do know is that God created all things, that the book of Genesis is a true narrative, that yes, it includes poetry, yes, it may be in parts of an ancient song, but nonetheless, it also contains true history. It contains the events that led to sin coming into the world, and it begins the narrative of God's redemptive story that finds its climax in the nativity, in the birth of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, I'm looking at the time and we're already out of it, John. It just runs. When it's topics we kind of have discussed a couple times in the past, it goes pretty quick. So, uh, as always, find us on the web at onlythepenitent.com. All of our podcasts are right there on the front page. And you can email us at OTPSP, only the penitent shall pass, at protonmail.com. Until next time, may God bless you.